Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing today? Good. I'm so glad you're here with us as we continue the series Above All Else. In this series, we're learning how to make our decisions and to set priorities in a way that shows that we are loving God above all else. We kicked off the series last week with a look at loving Jesus above all else. And as we step into the series in week number two, we're going to look to see how you and I can make decisions today that are wise in the moment and will be a blessing in the future. We're going to learn how to live the life of contentment above all else. And I am so glad you're here to join us, whether you're at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or Parkway Victoria. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you brought your Bible, open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to jump into Scripture together. I remind you that the book of 1 Timothy was written by Paul to a young teacher named Timothy. And Timothy was leading the church and Paul's instructing Timothy to get over some of his fear, to get over some of his, his hesitance to teach with great boldness. He's helping Timothy stand up against some false teachers. He's helping Timothy stand up so the church will grow in its maturity. And so we step in in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we learn today about living the contented life. And this is a life that's wise today. And will lead you to being a blessing tomorrow. And this is an important study for us today. Because as we look at our lives and the priorities we set in our lives. Most, most mess ups aren't about the big dream of our life. But the small steps we take to get there. Most of the things that we look back at and regret aren't the big dreams we were chasing. Most of us are chasing great dreams with our life. We want to have a healthy family. We want to have a job that we enjoy and that provides for us. We want to help others and be, be, a, like, be one that contributes to our community. Like those big dreams, you look and you say, I got no problems with my big dreams. But my path to get to my big dream, oh, that's where the problem comes. And so today we're going to learn about contentment because it's one of the key qualities for actually living the life that you dream of living. It's one of the key qualities to be wise today and to be a blessing tomorrow. Paul tells young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Early on in this teaching on contentment, Paul's going to remind us of a couple of things. First of all, if you put your hope in anything or anyone or any place besides God, that is a faulty place to put your hope. Paul says, put your hope not in wealth. It would be easy to hope in wealth. If I've got wealth, then I can provide for my family like I want to. If I've got, if I've got great wealth and there's really no tragedy that can strike me, no affirmity that can afflict me, that will, that will shake me at my core. If I've got wealth and I can cover my needs, then I don't have any problems. But Paul says right here that if you put your hope in wealth, it's uncertain. And if you put your hope in God, there's a certainty that comes. There's a confidence that comes. There's a permanence that's there. Because you're putting your hope in God, not your hope in anything else or anyone else or any place else. The other thing we learn about anything we have from this passage 
is that it was given to us, provided to us by God. So whether you have a little or you have a lot, whether you have just enough to get by or you have more margin than, than, than you need when it comes to your finances, the Bible here says all of it came from God. He is the one who richly provides everything. Does he provide everything for a purpose? Right here. It says he provides everything for our enjoyment. It's funny because if you listen to, to Dave Ramsey, anybody here listen to Dave Ramsey? Anybody here actually follow Dave Ramsey? That's a big difference. <laughs> if you listen to Dave Ramsey, he'll talk about the contented life and being happy with what you have. And he will have people call in that, that describe all the problems that the discontented life brings. Where money is no longer something to be enjoyed, but money is a burden. And it's because they haven't learned to live, as the Bible says here, in the content life where we enjoy what God has given us. Listen to how Paul challenges us to be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. See, this idea of contentment is that we are happy, not with the life we want, but we are happy with the life that God gave us. We are content with who we are and where we are. We are content with what we have and what we're doing because God is the one who's given it to us for us to richly enjoy. This applies directly to money. It also applies to every other area of your life. If you grow discontent in any area of your life and you look to solve your discontentment outside of God's word and outside of God's way, you will find ruin. If you grow discontent with singleness and you step out of God's will and you step out of God's way to pursue a spouse or to move in with your loved one, you, you say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. Because I'm discontent with where I am today. If you grow discontent in your singleness and you chase relationship outside of God's will and God's way, you will find ruin. If you grow discontent with your position at work and you decide, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make demands. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. I'm going to do it my way. You will come to ruin. Friends, there's this idea that we need to enjoy the life God has given us by doing it His way according to His timing. And any time I get discontent, and I could go down my list of things where I grow discontent, any time I get discontent and step out of God's way of doing things or step out of God's timing for doing things, it doesn't end well for me. And it won't end well for you. But if we learn how to live with contentment and godliness, what's the Bible say here? It says there is great gain. If I live the discontented life, if I'm always chasing what's next, if I'm always frustrated with where I am, if I'm always, always, always wanting more or, or pushing for a future that God has yet to give me, if I'm always pushing and frustrated, what am I going to have? Great loss. But if I have godliness where I put my hope in him and not in what he's given me, if I have 
godliness, what do I get? The Bible here says great gain. There is great wisdom in learning to live with contentment in what you have. That means you lay those credit cards aside. Credit cards are a tool of a discontented life. Because I'm going to try and afford more than I can. Let me slide the plastic across. Some of us, God has given 100% for... Let me rephrase that. All of us, God has given us 100% of what we have. Some of us look and say, that's not enough. I need 110%. Even if I'm charged 25% interest on those extra 10% that I need slash want, must have. See, this is Dave Ramsey falling out of my mouth. I'm one that's listened and I don't always follow. I'll own it. Okay? I'll confess it. But do you realize that there are symptoms of being discontented in our lives? That credit card's one of them. Pushing ahead and making your own demands instead of waiting for God's timing, that's another. Having to be full of pride and arrogance and demanding, that's another. There are symptoms of discontent that bring great loss, but there's godliness that brings great gain. This year, as our kids go back to school, may we learn the discipline of contentment as we raise our kids. I took my kids shoe shopping yesterday. Oh, like they threw me one shoe and I looked at the bottom to see what the price was and it just said, your right kidney. I can't, I got three kids. Can't give a right kidney. So you know what? I mean, one of my lessons for my kids is our contented life means we don't pay retail for much of anything. Dad's first look is always on the clearance rack. They hate me for that. But that's how we can stay and live content with the life God has given us. By the way, crazy thing about shoe shopping this year, if you are in, like if you were raised in the 80s into the early 90s, kids these days are wearing the shoes that we used to wear and paying like six times what my parents paid for them. It is insane. So here's contentment. Life isn't defined by what I have, but by what I'm happy having. Life isn't defined by what I have, but life is defined by what I'm happy having. And any time I get out of God's timing or God's way to pursue something in life that I desire, I will experience great ruin. But if I could be happy with what God has given me and grow in godliness, there will be great gain. Listen to how Timothy says, not only is it wise today, but you'll be a blessing tomorrow. 1 Timothy 6:19. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we learn how to live the contented life, we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Because what we learn when we live to be content is we learn that we can put our hope in God and we learn that we can be generous with what God has given us for our enjoyment. Some of us in our next step with Jesus need to learn that giving is enjoyable. That God gave us everything we have for our enjoyment, but God didn't give us everything we have just to spoil us. God gave us everything we have so that we could even find the enjoyment of giving back to Him. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paul says, don't put your hope in money because it is uncertain. And Jesus says, it's so uncertain that when you store up your treasures here on earth, it's, it's being stored in a place where moths and vermin can destroy. Being stored in a place where thieves can break in and steal. But he says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there is no destruction, where there is no loss. There is no, there is no, no thief that can come in and take that which you've invested in the kingdom of God. And the reason that we enjoy and we learn to grow to enjoy giving is what Jesus said in, in Matthew six twenty one, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The reason that we unapologetically ask people to grow in their generosity is because the heart and the treasure of our lives are linked. What you treasure, your heart will chase. What you want in your heart as your deepest priority, your highest focus, will become that which directs your steps. Your treasure and your heart are linked. If your heart is wrong, you won't chase things that are right. If your heart is wrong, you won't chase things that last. You won't chase things that add to your life. When your heart isn't right, you will actually chase after things and make investments with your life that don't help you, but they hurt you. They destroy your relationships and they steal your joy. So Paul says to young Timothy, command them to be content. Command them to be generous so that they will have great gain in their life. Jesus warns against losing, like gaining the whole world and yet losing our soul. If you don't want to do that, learn contentment and learn generosity. And as I talk about giving, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Giving isn't paying it forward. You know, when you pay something forward, you're trying to set an example for somebody else to follow. Like you are in line at Starbucks and the person behind you, they're, they're, you're going to pay for their coffee and you're going to start this string of generosity. You're going to pay it forward. When you give to God, you're not paying it forward. You are worshiping God. You aren't paying it forward to set an example that others will follow. In fact, the Bible talks about us giving in secrecy. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. We give not to pay it forward as an example. We give as an act of worship. Second thing, giving isn't paying it back. God has done so much for me. So I'm going to give back to him because of what he gave to me. It's not paying him back. We can never repay the debt that we owe to God. We could never pay for the sacrifice that Jesus provided. Giving isn't paying it forward and giving isn't paying it back. Giving is an act of worship to God and to God alone. And we don't give hoping that God will give us more. The other night I was up in the middle of the night. And I was flipping TV channels. I, I was doing it with my thumb because that's what I use. And we don't have cable in our house. So that's one of the ways that we live contented. We've got an antenna TV. And so I've got like seven channels at home. And so I'm flipping through the TV channels. And, and, and there's this preacher. Okay, first rule of thumb. 
If it's three o'clock in the morning and there's somebody preaching to you on TV, probably shouldn't listen. Like the later they're on, the less trustworthy they are, in my opinion. Uh, but this guy is staring at me and telling me, if you give $58 based on the 58th chapter of this Old Testament book, God will bless you in 58 ways. If you give $58 for the next year, God will bless you in 58 ways. What? We don't give to God expecting to get back? You know, it's funny, that same preacher, a few months later, we're going to see him on TV. He's going to be staring at you and he's going to say, you know what? If you give $119 based on Psalms 119, God's word will come to fruition in your life. He's looking at you in the eyes. I mean, it's serious business. Kind of makes you want to pull out the debit card. Don't. Because we don't give to get. We give because he gave to us. And we can never repay him. But we can say, I worship you. And my heart is yours above all else. And if I can break the grip of the discontented life and I can break the grip of the generous life by giving to you, God, I'm going to do it. Paul goes on, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9 through 10. The Bible says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and, and, and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See, there's the warning. It's unwise to live a discontented life. There's the warning. It's unwise to always be chasing more and more because there is a trap, there is a temptation, and what's it lead to? Foolishness, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now let's clear something up. The Bible here says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. You know how I know that? Because God gave it to you for your enjoyment. God would never give you a sin to enjoy. God would never tempt you with something that's going to hurt you. And so we know that it's not money that's the problem. It's what you and I do. With the money, that's the problem. It's what money does to our heart that's the problem. It's the love of money. That's why we look and say, I want to grow to live a contented life above all else. Because I don't want to end up with ruin and loss. I don't want to end up making foolish, harmful decisions. I want to live up being wise today and being a blessing tomorrow. Keep reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God... Let's personalize it. But you, church of Parkway, flee from all of this, from the discontented life, from the love of money, from the life that's unwise today and not a blessing tomorrow. Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Why does Paul tell us to flee? Because it's an action we must take. Why does Paul tell us to flee? Because if we learn to flee the, the sin that so easily entangles us and we learn to pursue righteousness. What's the promise we already read about from Paul to Timothy? That with godliness and contentment, there is great gain. 
There's a corporate example of this contentment and godliness and the great gain. In fact, there's a corporate example that is so strong in our, in our state that our state legislature just passed a bill, the Save Chick-fil-A bill. When Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A, he said, I'm a Christian, and so I'm going to do it God's way. And a part of his conviction was we work six days and we rest and worship on the seventh. And so Chick-fil-A does things in six days that other corporations can't accomplish in seven days. So the watching world around them says they are experiencing great loss. In fact, economists have looked and said that if Chick-fil-A would open up on Sundays, they could earn an extra $1.2 billion, with a B, billion dollars a year. If they would open up on Sundays, they could sell 15% more product and earn $1.2 billion. You know why they don't? Because with contentment and godliness, there is great gain. And even before everybody knew about the best chicken sandwiches ever, they build their life on the conviction of God's word. And you know what's proven over time? Being closed on Sunday actually hasn't cost them a penny. If you compare stores, store sales, store to store, they actually sell more in airport locations than McDonald's and Starbucks combined with McDonald's and Starbucks being open seven days a week. And I tell you this corporate example so you can make a personal decision. When I have a choice to be content and to trust God and to do things according to His word, His way, will I trust Him that He will deliver and that my hope in Him is not in vain? Now, I can't promise you an empire like True at Kathy's. But what I can promise you is if we put our hope and our faith in God instead of our hope and faith in money that is so uncertain, we will have great gain right along with our godliness. Let's finish it up. What does a contented life look like? You can fill in that blank. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, Paul's going to give us two commands to live to have the contented life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. He tells us two things that we must do. He says we must do good. Command them to do good. See, I, I'm a real smart guy. There's two commands. What's the first one? Command them to do good. He commands us to do what? Thank you. And to be generous. And then he defines generous, which is willing to share. There are two commands to live the contented life, which lead us to two commitments. In church, believer, one who's going to take their next step as a disciple, will you take one of these as your next step and make this commitment to the Lord? Commitment number one, I will do good with everything that God has given me. Paul tells the church here through young Timothy to be good, to be, to be rich in good deeds, to be about doing good in the name of Jesus. Will you say and make this commitment, 
I will do good with everything that God has given me. I will be rich in good deeds. I'm talking about your most valuable commodity here, your time. I'm talking about your talent and what God has given you. I'm talking about your influence. Will you look and say, I will use everything that God has given me to do good in the world around me. Because God has given me this life and put me in this place to enjoy it and to be used by him. This week, we have had people throughout our church use their time and their talent and their influence to throw parties to tell people about Jesus, specifically to tell children about Jesus. Throughout this summer, we've had parties being thrown in Port Lavaca and around Lone Tree and throughout Victoria where neighbors look and say, hey, I've got some influence on my street. I'll host a party and invite kids to come over and we'll have fun and tell them about Jesus and serve some hot dogs. Throughout the summer, we've had parties all over the place, about 15 parties thrown by people like you. This last week, we had parties thrown in city parks where homeless people gather. This past week, we've had parties thrown at businesses where great barbecue is served. This past week, we've had parties thrown in front yards of homes because people looked and said, I want to be, I want to be rich in good deeds. And God has given me a house and God's given me a yard and God's given me these people. So I'll use it to tell kids about Jesus. The church was there to coach. The church was there to support. The church provided stuff to talk about. But this was, this was that disciple saying, I am going to use what God has given me to be rich in good deeds and to tell people about Jesus. It was so much fun this week to see picture after picture come across our, come across our social media feeds. And come across, here's stories of life change and stories of life change from those leaders that opened up their front yards or opened up their business or opened up the, the apartment complex meeting room where they live. It's so cool. I will use everything that God has given me, my time, my talent, and my influence. That's commitment number one. Commitment number two, I will bless others because God has blessed me. This is where Paul told Timothy, command them to be generous and to be willing to share. So this is me not suggesting. This is me not implying. This is me joining the command of Scripture and saying, will you take your step to not only live a wise life of contentment, but to live a life that's a blessing to you and to others by growing in generosity, by being willing to share, because God has given so much to us. I want you to consider, maybe you just need to start sharing consistently. And you, you, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to give consistently. And I'm, I'm not telling you to give $58 a month and God's going to do 58 things in your life. Don't hear that. But what I am saying is you give and you spend consistently in other areas of life. Why not say, God, I'm going to consistently start to give to you as an act of worship. And then maybe if you're giving consistently, maybe your next step is to say, you know, I'm going to start giving sacrificially. Or it actually costs me something. You know, it's easy to give at some levels. When you look and say, hey, I'm going to give $10 a week, that's easy for most that are gathered here. $100 becomes difficult for many. But then if God has blessed you with much and you look and you say, you know what, I could give $1,000. And then, then that heart tug happens. But God, that's a laptop. God, you want me to give you a laptop every month? No, God's like, I don't want a laptop from me. I just want your obedience. 
I just want your dependence. I just want your worship. You get to enjoy the laptop. I just want you to give to me based on what I have given to you, consistently and sacrificially. See, it's a life that's wise, and it's a life that's a blessing to others. So here's my call one last time. Let us never put our hope in money that fails. Let us never store up our treasures only here on earth where loss and ruin and destruction are promised. But instead, let us live a contented life and grow in godliness and experience his great gain. And as God gives, we share. As God provides, we sacrifice. As God gives us everything for our enjoyment, we worship him.